Hey, welcome to Gig Stories with Music People. I'm Evan Michael at the Spacement Recording Studio in Los Angeles. This is episode 37, and my guest today is Ian Felchlin, a guitarist from right here in LA, born and raised in Burbank. Some bands and artists Ian has played with over the years include Back Pocket Memory, Douglas Roigers, Melinda Hale, Andrew Orbison, Fifth and Birmingham, as well as various theater productions. I've also played with Ian a number of times with Sarah Winchester Band. I think uh, you'll really enjoy this chat. Uh, Ian has great stories. I loved getting his perspective on things. If you hadn't noticed, one thing I've been trying to do is get a wide range of guests to get different perspectives and different types of stories. Ian is someone who's played a ton, great musician, but he also has a real job and a family, and he makes time to scratch that music itch and I really respect and admire that. So uh, check Ian out on Instagram at Ian Felchlin. I'm at Evan on the Bass, studio at the underscore spacement, podcast at Gig Stories with Music People. Next episode in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Let's get to it. Enjoy. Welcome, dude. Thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you. We've been trying to do this for a minute. <laughs> we have. And we both got the maroon shirt. Oh, memo. yeah. I did. Yeah. You know, I did. I didn't, I, did. I didn't wear gray shorts. Oh, well, you know, maybe you should go home and, uh, and change. Yeah, but I, no, have, I have some, yeah. It's okay. It's okay. We'll make do. Good. But good to see you, man. You too, man. Really. How it's a beautiful it? place. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Have you been uh, Have you been playing much recently? I know you're, you're mainly playing with Sarah. Yeah, I, um, I've been playing with Sarah, Sarah Winchester, um, former guest of this podcast. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. Uh, I've been playing with her a lot, um, you know, a handful of times a month or more, depending. Um, and then in, for all of like, I don't know if, when the last time I actually played with you was, but for most of March and the beginning of April, I was playing a musical down in La Mirada, right. which was really fun. Um, awesome. The drive was not fun. Yeah, um, but the show was great, and it was it was a really great band, and and just a new show, really super super great experience. Um, and then yeah, I've just been there's been some random things here and there, but mostly just stuff with Sarah. Yeah, um, she's nothing if not consistent, which is great. Uh, and it's, <laughs> it's such a great group and a lot of fun. So um, yeah, I noticed. Uh, or have you guys still been doing that Disney gig, or did that disappear? No, that stopped. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I, I don't, we don't have to get into to sure, details, yeah, but yeah. I think some requests were made from us that they just couldn't meet. And, uh, there's sure. no like bad blood or you know nobody ghosted anybody, um, but they've stopped. And and I honestly think in general the uh, that company and that part of that company, the parks are going through a lot of change right now. So yeah, I, I'm not you know it, I was a great gig. It was really fun, but it's just like. Yeah, what they're a giant conglomerate corporation. <laughs> what what can we expect from them? You know, we we got to play it sure. a lot uh, last summer, and um, and I know I think you had played with her before there before the pandemic, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's an interesting gig. I I would sub here and there. I I feel like maybe I did ten or twelve or something yeah. over yeah. the last number of years, uh, and it was always. It's an interesting gig because yep. so you're playing so the gig is you're playing downtown Disney, mm-hmm. uh, which is like r- right as you go into the park, 
but not part of the park. Right. Like you can just like people just go there to hang out and it's like eat their version of Universal City Walk or sure. So there's you know yeah. some restaurants and and but the it's kind of part of Disney, so they they have Disney themed things and gift it, shops. It, it's and, definitely part of Disney, but yeah. it's like a weird like come to eat dinner and like go out kind of destination place right. versus like go to the theme parks and go on rides. Yeah. Kind of so thing. so it was always, you know, there's always a ton of kids mm-hmm. running around coming in in and out of the park. Uh and like it, it was a fun gig, but it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work, yeah. Uh just with all of it combined with the, yeah. it was a it was kind of a nightmare load in load out situation. Yeah. Where you know it was like a cart of yeah. just wheeling a quarter mile <laughs> to yeah. from. So uh, well, the, and the, the tough part is like the, you know, they let us park in that parking lot, which is right there, and it's like the stage is at the end. It didn't or used beginning to be of, that. Well, I know. That, <laughs> that, so maybe I was a spoil when I do it, but it's just the idea that you know the stage is 200 feet from where you actually enter physically the grounds of downtown Disney. But everything you have to do to get there, especially in the summer, is just brutal. Yeah. Well, that was that's part, and it's part of just outdoor gigs in general, but yeah. there's always yeah. that uh, that variable of, of the, the, the weather. And, and mm-hmm. we, I, I definitely experienced, I'm sure you did more, because you did the gig more, yeah. but... If it was too hot, that was oh, rough. And if it was too man. cold, that was rough too. It was, God, <laughs> I, were you there? Were you there on the one where like, because they're doing a bunch of construction right next to it. They tore right. down uh, what used to be the AMC theaters and Earl of Sandwich, rest in peace, even though it's coming back now. yes. Uh, but it's limited. Oh, it's back. <laughs> it's back, but it's like limited. Who knows? <clears throat> Anyways, um, I think it was in the summer. It was brutally hot. And, like, it seemed as if during this construction they had, like, unearthed a plague of locusts. <laughs> and there were just these little bugs. I mean, I'm sure they weren't actually locusts. But there were these bugs just everywhere on instruments, on us, on pedal boards, on music stands. I, I don't remember if you were on that specific uh, <laughs> date. But it was just, it, like, added to the weather. Sure. Oh, man. And there was, there was one we did um, in November where it was raining. Right. And they, and it was really cold and it was raining and they kept, you know, their thing is like, you don't have to start as long as you show up. If they don't, if they don't cancel it, you don't have to stop till it's done raining. Well, in their infinite brilliance, when they built that stage, they didn't build a solid cover over the top. It's like a mesh <laughs> thing covered with a net. Yeah. That the net, which is the main function is just to catch branches that right. may fall from the tree, <laughs> right, right. not to stop any no. any rain or any sun. Or so anything. we, oh man, I mean, we were, we, you know, you should play four sets. We skipped the first two because it was still raining. It had stopped raining, but because the water had just collected on this net, it was dripping. And they had, I mean, they had like six janitor custodial staff, like, mopping the water off and using uh, these dryers and finally and then then of course they're like oh we're almost done and like a wind hits the the net and more water falls down <laughs> and we we ended up playing but it was like there were like tarps over things like yeah my amp was like half covered with the tarp i mean just like that like you said you just you never know what's going to happen at that gig because of the weather yeah. and they don't they're not always quick to cancel yeah and i 
I feel like maybe that depended on who was working it, but because mm-hmm. yeah, I remember dealing with the rain at least once or twice yeah. there, and it was like, I really, it's really not safe Mm-mm. to Mm-mm. like we're plugged into stuff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. could literally die. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. We don't have to talk too much more no, about no, Disney. No, no, it's but, you know, but it's, it's but it, but like gig. you said, it's it's an interesting gig. It's really it's one of the, my favorite gigs that I've done. When we're playing, yeah, the load in the fact that the artists have to provide their own PA. That's just, and I understand from a from a corporate standpoint, like why because it limits their liability and equipment and stuff like that. But man, I, I can't tell you how many times I'll talk to somebody and just be like, if that if we didn't have the artist didn't have to bring their PA, if they had a stage that was built in somewhere and the stuff was built in, you just showed up with your gear and played, like the fun level would just. Or really, what is the stress level would just dissipate? Sure, you know, because um, it is really fun. I mean, it's there's nothing like seeing children lose their mind when you play <laughs> "Let It Go" or something, and also seeing like the parents be able to just like sit back and like you know let them run, let them run a little bit to finally tire them out at the end of the day. <laughs> there is something special, I will say, and that's one of the reasons I would I would st- still continue to do the gig mm-hmm. uh, is that. Like there, there's something special about playing for like a kid, for like maybe it the first time they've ever seen yeah. like a live band, yeah. or if not the first, just one of the first that they might remember. Yeah, like there's something cool about that. I mean, I think. Oh yeah. Do you remember? That's an interesting question. Like, do you yeah. remember like your first concert or like your first time seeing a live band? Um, I believe my first concert was Raffi at the Raffy. Hollywood Bowl. It might have been at the bowl or at the like little small children's area. They used to have like a child's thing at the, okay. at the bowl, like not in the actual thing. I don't remember which one of those it was, but I know it was Raffi and my mom took me. Um, but I couldn't tell you if I know that because I have like memories of it or because <laughs> I've just been told that, you know? Okay, yeah. Um, so you don't have any image, like like for me... I have an image in my mind, and that's just how my mind works, I guess. Right, right. Of seeing Weird Al at the (laughs) the Waukesha County State Fair in Wisconsin. Oh, this just gets better and better. uh, With my parents. That was was the first, like, one that I remember Mm -hmm. with my parents, because we were big Weird Al fans. Yeah, yeah. We would, you know, watch the bad, uh, the the beat it. (laughs) you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. video like every day yep. <laughs> we were kids and memorized Amish Paradise and all yep, that stuff. Hell yeah. Uh, so, and then the, I, I do remember the first one I was able to go to with like without my parents where mm-hmm. I went with my brother and my cousin was Gravity Kills with wow. opener Drain STH, uh, which Whoa. was an all-female yeah. like heavy rock kind of almost metal-ish. Yeah. Uh, band from like Stockholm, Sweden, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that was at Summerfest in Milwaukee. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It was just kind of a funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember my first my first like concert that I went to as not like a small child uh, was the Who. Okay. Uh, at the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah. Um, because by then I I I think I was like seventeen or eighteen. 
No, some yeah. You know, I must have been seventeen because then like, I had started playing guitar, and my parents were are none. Neither of them are musicians, but they're huge, huge music fans. So nice. I grew up listening to classic rock and jazz and blues and all that stuff. But so they, as soon as I showed interest, they started taking me to see The Who and Eric Clapton. That's and, awesome. Actually, you know, I take that back. It wasn't The Who. My that first real concert that I can remember, I was f- I must have been fourteen, fifteen, when Supernatural by Santana came uh-huh. out. They he did a a concert where it was he played like a bunch of his hits and then there was like a break I think and the second half of the show was the entire record oh. with all of the guests <laughs> uh, on stage and my mom wow. took me to that it was at the Pasadena Civic Auditorium wow and it was awesome um, that's cool I don't know why I forgot about that maybe I just because it was like at the Pasadena Civic not like the Forum or the Bowl or something sure you know? so I so you lived your whole life in in L A then I have yeah. Wow. I was born in Santa Monica, and then when I was like three, we moved to Burbank. Um, gotcha. Just like Randy Rhodes, although I've lasted a little <laughs> bit longer. Um, yeah, so I've been here my whole life. That's cool. Why, how do you feel about growing up in L.A.? <sighs> Asking the hardball questions. <laughs> yeah, um, man, let's get into it. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm, first of all, very grateful for how I grew up and where I grew up. I mean, I had a middle-class upbringing, um, which may or may not exist much longer. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, it was great. I, you know, I, I was, I'm an only child, um, so a lot of my friends throughout the years became kind of close family. You know, we, we had a lot of close relationships as a family with other families. Uh, and it was great growing up. It was great to grow up somewhere where there was so many different cultures, you know, I mean, I grew up in Burbank and, and there's a whole other podcast we could do about how not uh, a melting pot Burbank is, or at least used to be. But when I was growing up, you know, we had close friends that were Salvadoran, you know, close friends that were Mexican and close friends that were um, Chinese, close friends that were African-American, yeah. you know, and, and that I feel like really, I can't be thankful enough for that because there was, you know, it was just, I just grew up and the, these were our friends. Like, it didn't matter. There was no, there was no difference. And, you know, I don't think I would have been raised any differently knowing who my parents are, but being able to grow up somewhere where even in a larger sense of LA, like the, all those different cultures were just how it was. And that's, right. you embraced it. And that's great. I mean, you know, there every part of LA has all these different restaurants and stores and you know obviously there's a lot of spanish speakers here but even like japanese chinese uh ethiopian things like that you know i'm grateful for living here and growing up here and being exposed to that without someone saying look this is a japanese restaurant you know or look <laughs> here's this thing that sticks out it was just kind of treated as part of the landscape so it right. didn't need to stick out um that's awesome and it was and it was i mean it was great obviously as as a a young person deciding to start to play music, you know, I don't want to sound too much like an old man, but there really was like a really nice scene and feeling that like LA Hollywood was like a place for music. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, not that I don't think it is anymore, but it's very different. You know, before the internet, before all this stuff, I mean, they really like the whiskey, the Roxy, the key club, Safari Sam's, you know, Coconut Teaser, which is a great old club that sadly has been gone for a while now. Um, okay. Just those kind of things, they they all seemed very accessible. 
you know, so I, I started playing guitar at 16, and I, I really started playing in bands right when I was turned 18, when I left high school, and like it seemed like we could play at these places, and that there that the the general scene, not necessarily genre specific, but like the idea of being a band or a musician in LA was like inviting and you could do it and you could you could throw your hat in the ring. And again, not that I don't think that's how it is anymore, but it's just very different. So I'm glad to have kind of grown up and been exposed to that where like, oh, just over the hill, there's like all these rock clubs that we can go play, you right. know? Um, maybe we had to sell tickets, maybe we didn't. But like <laughs> the fact that that was there and I feel like there's still a lot of venues, but the clubs aren't there in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I learned a lot about being a musician and being in a band from going and playing those as, you know, someone who was 17, 18, 19, and through my 20s. That's interesting. It's cool. Like, I feel like you're you're get, shedding light on some of the positives of living in L.A., or at least a part of it at the time you did. But, yeah. <laughs> but there's still a lot of that, too, I think. There's yeah. one of the benefits of L.A., to to me as a musician is the fact that there's just so many places yeah. to play. Yeah. Uh now whether you can and whether you need to sell tickets and, and stuff like that, it's another yeah. Another issue. But it, it's true. There's a lot of city I mean, even just even cities that yeah. there's just not that many places. And it's it's really easy to take it for granted. Yeah. You know, and I, I feel I'm sure I've probably even talked about it before with you, like there's a lot of negativity that can be associated with the way it is now and and sure. that it's changed and that it's, we've gone from all these clubs to really it's bars, restaurants, whatever. But the fact remains is that there's still a lot of places yeah, and a lot of opportunities to do that. And, and whether or not you're making money at all, there's opportunities to play and to cut your teeth and to have fun. And that's, you know, it's so easy to just think, oh, well – X, Y, and Z is wrong, but like you said, like, you know, you drive for a couple hours, there's a town that maybe has a bar that maybe has a band <laughs> once a week. Yeah. You know, and that's, it's it's easy to forget that that's the reality of most other cities. For sure. Now, when did you start playing guitar? 16. 16. Um, 16th birthday. I think I had, like, I had started getting into, like, my parents' records, so a lot of classic rock, like late 60s, early 70s, yeah, and then blues and jazz. And I had just kind of started saying that I wanted to play guitar, and I don't even remember it being a really big thing, but for my 16th birthday, I got a classical guitar. Um, classical you started on? Well, I mean, my parents, it was a surprise. So it wasn't like a, hey, let's go buy this guitar. But they didn't really know what to... Well, I, I'm sure what happened is my dad, he went to... Um, I think I don't even know if it's still there. It's I want to say it was called Charles Music. Okay. In Glendale. I can picture it, but I, I couldn't tell you if it was still there. I th- he went to that store and I think he just said, "My son wants to play guitar. How should he start?" Right. You know, and he bought like a Yamaha classical guitar with the case and a little book. Um I still have the guitar. It's not in great shape. It it's it's spent so many years in my parents' garage and now it's in my garage and I'm Fairly sure there's like several black widows living in it, so I haven't like taken it to a, a luthier to have it worked on. Um, <laughs> but and then I, I, the part of the deal was as as is with a lot of people is you, okay, here's this guitar, but you have to start taking lessons. Right. And I took lessons at Larry Larson Music Store, um, also in Glendale, which 
just recently closed a little while when Larry passed away. I only took six months of lessons there, but he was a great guitar player and he was like a world famous accordion, mm. like just an absolute legend on the accordion. Uh, and he had this little music store up on Glen Oaks. Um, cool. Yeah. And then when did you start performing or playing in bands? Um, I started performing pretty soon. I was in theater and, and show choir in high school and Pretty early on, I started incorporating guitar into that um, at like high school shows or variety shows. I'd pick up a guitar and ham fist my way through something. And uh, my a couple friends and I who also played would go up to like BB King's at Universal Studios, which is I don't even know if it's anything now, but it was BB King's and then John Lovett's Club um, had a stage and they had like an open jam that anybody could go. So we would go as little, you know, seventeen year old kids and just. I mean, they, again, they were so nice. It was all pros getting up and being the house band and playing, but they were all nice. They would let us get up and play, and they would teach us stuff and talk to us. Wow. Um, but I didn't start, I didn't play in like a formal band until I was 18. Uh, I had, I had graduated high school, and in the local show choir, um, very much kind of how Glee was, uh, there's like a professional band that they would hire, and in this case, these professionals were uh, a couple guys that I really looked up to as a musician, and and they weren't too much older. They you know they were like in their mid twenties. But after graduating high school, they had asked me if I played bass, and I said yes, a <laughs> bold faced lie, uh, because they wanted a bass player for this band they were putting together. Um, so I said yes and went out and bought a bass, um, and I was on bass in that band for like three weeks. Okay. And they were like, let's move you to, we'll have two guitars, <laughs> um, which was great. Uh, but yeah, that's when I really started playing. And I was, I was unt for a number of years, I was the youngest person in the band because they were all, they were all over 21 at that point, And I was 18. Okay. Um, Just to backtrack a little, are, yeah. are what, is what you're saying is bass is not easy. <laughs> It's definitely not what? easy. Yes. Don't bury the lead here. No, no. Uh, I, I, I will be the first to admit um, bass is not just the root notes of a guitar. Um, Contrary to popular demand yeah. uh, or popular I mean, opinion. Now, uh, well, it's, it's, it's funny because I feel like bass is, is an instrument that is probably easier to get started on. That is exactly how um, I put it. Yes. But it doesn't get the attention for that right because in theory to get started on it it really is just the root notes and basic stuff yeah. and that's great because it can build a foundation of rhythm but it's just it just gets outshined by its flashier brothers who rush you know what i mean <laughs> yeah and, and and just the nature of what a, a lot of music calls for on yeah. bass yeah. uh it calls for more of a, a role player in yeah. a lot of ways. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know how many times we talked about it. It's come up on, on this podcast, I'm sure it has. but I'm sure it has. And, uh, yeah, every once in a while, I just like hear some comment about bass and it just like kind of hurts. Yeah. <laughs> or I'm just like, it's fine. So, but then you, I also, you hear the, the opposite too, or you, ah, yeah. oh, I, I think bass gets a bad rap or like people don't, you know, and it's like, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting, unique instrument. What, what made you play the bass? Why did you want to? It's a good question. I, well, I, 
I mean, I've probably talked about this before too, but I wanted to play drums mm, initially. Mm. Uh, I started on piano. I played trombone for a while. Wow. I wanted to do band stuff. You know, it was like I wanted, yeah. but I so I wanted to play drums, but my uh, my dad put the kibosh on that, <laughs> and um, so I feel like uh, so for me it was my fifteenth birthday. Oh wow! Okay, and I think I got the option of like. You can, you know, do you want a guitar or a bass? Because, right. you know, it was like, I knew I wanted to do something. And for some reason, bass had like a different, like, I felt like everybody plays guitar. Yeah. I don't, like, that's that's for basic bitches or whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Comes with a free pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And a fedora. <laughs> oh, uh, God. <laughs> I mean, I play guitar now, and I teach guitar, and yeah, it's all yeah. good. But, like, um, I don't know. It had a different, like, I want to say, like, color to it or, mm -hmm. like, attraction mm -hmm. to it for me. And it just was, like, interesting. And maybe it was that it was kind of, like, the closest thing to drums. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, like, yeah. you're still doing rhythmic stuff. But it just sounded it just sounded cool. It looked cool. And I was just like, that's what I want to do. That's, I mean, that's awesome. I, and, and, you know, you probably get a lot more work than most guitar players. Well, and I don't that's, know if that's true anymore, but that was certainly the, true, I feel like, when I was starting. It, I think it has been yeah. the case. Uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? But, uh, yeah, and that was definitely, like, something before I went to music, went, ended up going to music school. Like, yeah. I was thinking about going into songwriting mm, mm. Uh, i was always i've always been just really interested and fascinated yeah. with songwriting and at that time of my life when i was like trying to decide how to best you know get into the music right. industry i was looking at at the the you know the contemporary music schools yeah being mi llama and then berkeley right and Berkeley had like a song, like this cool songwriting program, and I was like, "Oh, that would be a really interesting thing to get into." But I, I had been playing bass yeah. for a while, and I just had this, like you said, this idea that everybody needs a bass player, yep. and there's always a shortage of bass players. And I was like, "Maybe that's my in." Yeah, and. I mean, who knows? It's a different life if I would have right. went to songwriting and, and uh, you know, spent two months at Berkeley and been like, this is crazy, <laughs> uh, or not gotten in. Who knows? Yeah. But, uh, no, it's, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. <laughs> no, I mean, that's awesome. I You know, when I think about, when I think about bass now, it's like, you know, it's, to me, it's the stringed instrument that nowadays bridges the gap with rhythm and percussion. I know it could yeah. all be looped into a rhythm section, but, you know, guitar for, like, electric or acoustic lead guitar, six-string guitar, for, I don't know, I guess let's call it 60 years, 70 years. No, I guess a little earlier, like, eight, let's say 80 years when, like, amplification started really happening. Up until that, it was a rhythm instrument. Right. And once it moved over, it, like... It feels like it was offered all the cocaine at the party, and it's it's still going. Um, but bass and and the way a, a bass players and the bass is an instrument, it's function in pretty much anything. Like it's kind of the bridge, and I think that that's probably infinitely cooler than any palette that goes on top of it. Because with the exception of maybe. I guess when doves cry, because I don't think there's bass on that song. But with the exception of that, like you take the bass out of stuff, and you're just like, 
it's just gone. Like the the foundation is gone, you know. And and the, it's like it'd be like having an ice cream sundae without the ice cream if the drums are the bowl, you know, and the guitar is the whipped cream. Like it's, a, I it's, thought you about just it can't, to me, like, it's just, it, it, and the thing is, is it can be vanilla and it can sound vanilla, right. but when you take a bite of it, if there's no vanilla, it's just not the same. Well, and there's I'm a surprised reason. I got through that, that uh, was, metaphor, to hey, be honest with you. I, now I want ice know, cream. It's a little golf clap going there. Mm-hmm. Cause that was an interesting metaphor and I, I love metaphors. Yeah. Uh, and vanilla gets a bad rap. Like vanilla is always Dude, good. It's it's reliable. It's hard. It's reliable. It's hard not to get chocolate when that's an option. But man, vanilla. My my six year old daughter, vanilla. <laughs> she will try anything, but she vanilla ice cream is her. That is her thing. Any other ice cream, she'll be like, "Oh, that's really good," and she'll still order vanilla. Well, like it's just, it's probably the best thing to have toppings on. Absolutely, like it's the best. Like, she'll, I mean, she'll eat it plain, but sure. Yeah, you're. But you're right, though. Like, <laughs> with without vanilla, like, is chocolate that great? Ooh, interesting. Welcome to the new podcast. Yeah, talking, yeah. Uh, talking ice cream <laughs> with music people. Talking ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, let's let's go yeah, back sorry, into some I, music. Yeah, I, I derailed us a little uh, bit. No, I. Uh, it's all good. I love to see where where the tree branch goes. Mm-hmm. But uh, okay, so you're playing. You've played a lot around LA. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. I remember you uh, you said there was a story about playing the Roxy. Yes, uh, it's kind of a story that happens over several years. Okay. Um, so the first band that I was in that I was talking about was a band called Function. Um, our logo was F of X, mathematical term. Um, <laughs> there was a C in it. It wasn't function with a K. That was another band that we got mistaken for all the time. They were oh great. Oh my God. Was um, it math rock? No, it was like, <laughs> it started out as like rap rock. This is like 2001, ladies and gentlemen. Um, rap rock was very hip then. It started out that way and then very quickly kind of just became alternative rock. Okay. But so we played around a lot, uh, a lot around LA, um, we played the whiskey a lot of times, but the Roxy seemed to be like the Hollywood club that we uh, were asked to play a lot and that we had the most luck with getting a good bill and a good crowd. Um, cool. Especially with, you know, that we mentioned before, like the pay-to-play selling tickets. I've been very fortunate, uh, and this is not a humble brag, but very fortunate in the bands that I've been in, original bands in LA, have never had problems solving tickets, solving tickets, selling tickets, <laughs> um, mainly because we just really worked at it. But so I've always been very lucky in that respect. So we could play these clubs often and it never felt like, oh, we're, we didn't sell enough tickets. What are we going to do? We owe them $500. Anyways. Well, um, you grew up in LA. I wonder, you know, do you think that part of has a, because that's absolutely okay. Cool. It's, it's, yeah. it's a huge part of it. I mean, like, and and because in both this band function and the rock band I was in afterwards called Back Pocket Memory, um, all of us went to the same high school in Burbank, Burroughs mm. High School, at slightly different times. So there were these wide bases of fans that all knew each other or were all related to each other or whatever. So it was very easy for us to pull, right. you know, and obviously we built fan bases all over, but our kind of core fans were based on this friendship hometown thing. So it was very easy to get people to come. Sure. But anyways, so uh, we played the Roxy. Well, I guess actually this starts a little earlier than I thought it did. So in <laughs> 2003, early 2003, uh, I had gallbladder surgery. I had my gallbladder removed. Oh. 
um, all of a sudden, uh, it was a very fun weekend. Um, but the, the surgery was on like a Thursday and we were playing set to play the Roxy on Sunday. And mm. I had brought this up to my doctors and, you know, and they said, listen, like, don't stand up with the guitar around your body. Like sit down as long as you're feeling okay, sit down have somebody hand you the guitar, don't lift anything, you can play the gig. Wow. I was like, okay, great, cool. I mean, I was 20. I wasn't even 20, I was 19. It was like, all right, let's do it. So we go, we play the Roxy. I'm still on a heavy dose of painkillers. Um, and I, I, you know, I did as follows. I, I sat down the whole gig. I didn't load anything in. I was still, like, exhausted. Sure. Like, halfway through the set, I was like... Not falling asleep, but like tons of Vicodin, not a ton of food. I had surge, like big surgery a couple of days before. And then, so basically afterwards we, you know, we're, we're loading out and I kind of go to like lean against the wall and I like pass out. Wow. Um, <laughs> and friends are there, whatever. I it was, I ended up being fine. I, they, you know, got me in the car and I woke up in the car and was fine. But why I'm saying this starts it is because every time I played the Roxy again until, I don't know, 2009, something bad happened. So that was the start, right? I had surgery and then I passed out and it was fine. It was minimal. The next time, my girlfriend at the time had, uh, her dad had given her a 65 plus Mustang as a car. Uh, that time, the Valleys of the Roxy uh, didn't put the brake on and parked it on the hill and it went all the way. I don't know if anyone's familiar with the Roxy. There's a hill that goes up right behind for parking. Right. And it was stack parking. So they parked it on the hill, the apex of the hill, didn't put the brake on, e-brake, uh -oh. and it just rolled back, Ooh. scraped the sides off right into the back of the Roxy, made a hole in the building. <laughs> then this, is, this all happens like as we're going on stage. And the only way that we knew about it is my dad was like, one of his friends was coming to see us play and he was outside waiting and saw this happen. And then the, my dad's friend and my dad started like, you know, getting in the valet's face because they're like lying and saying that the brakes were out and that, you know, my girlfriend had lied to them. It was this whole wow. thing and they were going to like sue. My dad's a lawyer and he kind of very quickly shut that down. Yeah. Uh, but they crashed her car and it, it luckily it wasn't, horrifically damaged but it's a classic car yeah. they crashed it into the building and there was like a three foot hole in the back of the building <laughs> wow this the next time after that um i don't remember the exact context but if i remember correctly somebody who was at the rainbow room was on drugs no. Left. I know. Surprise. <laughs> the the rainbow wait, room, wait, the wait. pinnacle the, of uh, white Christian morality. This, wait, this, doesn't this story doesn't check. Yeah, out I know. Here. I know. This, I know. Uh, this doesn't make any um, sense. <laughs> he wanders or stumbles out into the parking lot as I'm leaving, and he's standing still. And I'm going through the par the parking lot, the back of the Roxy, so slow. And as I start to accelerate to like just go out of the driveway, he like r suddenly runs in front of my car. And I ran, I run his foot over, and when I did that, he fell forward, so I kind of hit him, too, with my oh, car. Oh, no. Um, and I'm freaked out. I mean, I'm, what, 21, 22, you know? And He pulled a Charlie one, too. Really? I get, I get out of the car, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, like, you know, I, I had insurance, but, like, I hit a dude. At yeah. that, at that let, me, let me preface it. At this point, even though he had come out of the den of iniquity that is the Rainbow Room, I didn't know that he was, like, high on drugs. 
And I start talking to him. He's not even like acting in pain, even though his foot is like swollen. And he like, I don't honestly, I don't remember what he said he was on, but he explained that he was on a bunch of drugs <laughs> and that if he could walk to just let him walk and leave and then he's not going to say anything about it. Wow. And he did. And he got up and he just kind of walked away and turned wow. the corner. And I, and I was like, I'm going to go home. Yikes. Yeah. Wild. You got you dodged a bullet on that yes, one. Yes, huge bullet. Speaking of bullets, the next time thank I you played, to drugs. Right. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we would like to, to yeah. thank. Can we get a sponsorship from uh, uh, just drugs and just general. drugs in general. Drugs yeah, Incorporated, yeah. Um, Big Pharma. Uh, <laughs> the next time, speaking of bullets, that I played the Roxy was the night that uh, Tommy Thayer from Kiss was shot at the Rainbow Room. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Um, which obviously wasn't a bad thing to happen to us, but yeah. it still was like wild that a former member of Kiss <laughs> was shot at the Rainbow Room. Um, and then the next time after that, <laughs> and, oh, and to, to back up in case anyone doesn't know, the Rainbow Room is literally next door to the Roxy. Right. So yes. it's kind of all in this general place. Um, the next time after that, when we were playing, I think it was like second or third song, my amp just started smoking. <laughs> just like yeah, something blue. fire. You know. Um, anyway, so those were the times I had played the Roxy, and then fine, then I, I, you know, by that time, that, that band had stopped, and I was kind of like, at least in my mind, a little hesitant to go back and play there again, because sure. something always seemed to happen. And it was like a running joke, but... You know, if someone had gotten shot at that time, what's going to happen next? Someone going to die, you know? Um, <laughs> thankfully, the, ne- the 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 that next time that we played the Roxy was with a different band, again, made up of Burbank folks, um, and we sold it out, and it was great, and it kind of, like, ended the curse. Um, but nice. even still, like, and I haven't played there in a long time, but even still, when I think about it, there's a little bit of, like, Something was going on, and, and any other time that I played a Hollywood club, even on Sunset, nothing ever really happened like that. Right. You know? And it just seemed like there was this stretch for five years or so, I, I guess about where, it, maybe a little longer, where it just like every time I went to play there, something bad happened <laughs> in the orbit. You're like, you know? am I going to do this again? Right, right. And what's the cost, you know? Indian burial ground <laughs> yeah. or something. Those are some good. Those are some mm-hmm. good Roxy stories. Uh, any anything else as far as like fun uh, stories like that playing in in LA or beyond? Um, as far as like gear fails or uh, yeah, I mean gear fails is unfortunately <laughs> I want to say a common problem with me, but it just you know when you play when you've been playing for you know. 20 plus years and you play out gear fails um especially in a place like la where their backline amps are not really a thing at least when you're playing in like rock clubs and rock bands and stuff we just brought our own things sure i mean um yeah i mean one of the one of the biggest aside from the assorted like oh no my strap lock suddenly broke and guitars (laughs) falling face first and things like that i've never uh knock on wood i don't know where there's wood here um, uh, just like stamp the floor. On the, okay, some knock on what I've never actually had a guitar fully break, like a headstock break or anything yeah. like that on a gig. Um, they've taken big falls and things have been dented and scuffed and stuff, but nothing 
ever happened to a guitar where I couldn't immediately just pick it up and play it again, which is great. Um, I had one where there used to be a place called the Derby in Los Feliz. Yeah. Um, now it's a Chase Bank. Okay. Actually, it seems like a lot of the venues that I played in with this other band have turned into Chase Banks. Um, <laughs> They're taken over. Yeah, and I bank with Chase, so maybe there's a connection. But uh, it, I forget exactly how it happened. And it was like our hometown show on like a string of like regional tour dates we were doing. And somehow my amp tipped over. I was, I was young and stupid and playing a 412 Marshall cab with a head on top of it. And those days, um, when I could lift it, uh, and it like somehow it fell over and I thought, Oh, I caught it. Like I caught the head and then using my body and my other hand, I caught, the cab falling backwards right right close to the ground but i caught it and i'm like oh this is great like i totally lucked out this is after our set that night the next day and i put in the car and we're ready to go and where our next show is down at uh at uh, fullerton college cal state fullerton and i load in everything looks totally fine set up we're like you know five minutes from downbeat or whatever and i turn it on like there's no sound coming out of it and then after troubleshooting and stuff i was finally like you know what this did fall, so let me take like the jack plate off of the cab. I take the jack plate out, and even though on the front it looked as nothing had happened, because there was a cable still plugged in when it fell, yeah. the inside was like at like a 45-degree angle of the cable and the input jack, and it was just destroyed. Oof. So I jumped in the car. We had the rest of the band did like an impromptu, mellow, acoustic-y first set in my absence. Jumped in the car, drove to the nearest guitar center, and just bought like the first speaker cabinet that I saw, which was like a, it was a big PV four twelve. It's still in my in my old bedroom at my parents' house. Um, oh, you kept it? I did. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I I was gonna re- return it because that was the idea: is you just buy it and then return it after. But it sounded great, and at that point, I was like, you know, what if I need what if I need to spare again? And yeah. I kept it, and it. Probably hasn't been used since. It's been at my parents' house. No casters, <laughs> so it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, but just other other fails like that, especially once I... And I know there'll be some people that, that claim this is not the case, but I, I mean, I love vintage amps more than I like vintage guitars, and I've owned a bunch of them, but I'm hesitant to play with them live because I feel like they kind of just do what they want. <laughs> like, they're rely- like, I will say that an old... An amp built by hand in the 50s and 60s is probably on paper more rugged and reliable than like a circuit board amp now. But I feel like once things get that old, even if you have it fully serviced, it's just like, it's just kind of got a mind of its own. You know what I mean? You never really know. And especially if they're bouncing around in trucks or cars or wherever, there's not a case. And I've just had too many instances where, you know, I go to the gig and I turn it on, or even mid-set, all of a sudden it's like, wow, that's really distorted. <laughs> all of a sudden, that's very strange. So I wonder if that's power issues. You know, I feel it like could be. old old amps maybe are more sensitive to like fluctuations and yeah. I mean, there's there's power. a whole uh, there's a there's a product called a brown box. I think yeah. it's called a brown box. Okay. Um, that's maybe that's one of them where it will simulate the voltage from old outlets. Uh-huh. What these amps were used to getting. Um, Theoretically, once you get them serviced, it shouldn't be an issue. Um, and I guess it isn't really just a story, just a statement that I've... A lot of the the gear fails or quandaries I've had lately have been like older... My older amps kind of being like, no, I don't want to work for this <laughs> set. And then I'll take it back to my studio and it's like, nothing went wrong. Yeah. 
you know? As thankfully I realized it then as opposed to like, oh, let me go drop five hundred dollars on getting it serviced. But Sure. Um, I'm trying to think of other fun stories in LA. I'm sure there are some. I mean, like we were talking about, LA's just got so many places. Yeah. That I I feel like I've played with the exception of like huge giant venues and even then some of them, like there's just I've played all over LA. And there's yeah. it's and it's always cool to see the different feels that each venue and stage has if there's a stage if you're lucky you know like have you have you ever played um clifton's Clifton's. in downtown la no it was it's like i don't even know that place it reopened uh, maybe 10 years ago i don't know i don't know the date but if in in old in old times in classic downtown la it was like a cafeteria three stories you know you go and eat and there was like stuff and now it's kind of the cafeterias in the bottom and there's like a couple stories of a bar, nightclub, but there's a couple different places for a band. The top is like a really cool tiki bar. I've played there uh, with a a swing band several times, and it is like the coolest venue in the world because it's just just immersed in this rich downtown LA history, but the load-in is like maybe the worst I've ever done. There's a very, 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 very tiny elevator, maybe big enough for, you know, the two of us and a couple amps. Well, first of all, you have to figure out how to park in downtown LA. You can load in through an alley. The gate is closed and stays closed. So you pull up, you take your stuff out, put your stuff in. They close the gate. You go park. You have to come back in through the gate, get somebody to open it up. All the way down the alley. To get into the building from the alley, it's like four really high steps. No ramp. Get your stuff in. You have to wheel it through on the first floor and then th- literally through the cafeteria, like go in and through the back of the kitchen cafeteria to get to the elevator on the other side of the building. You take the elevator up, and no matter what floor you're on, the elevator is kind of at like the f- one end of the building, and and at least the last times I've played there, which I think, which really was kind of before the pandemic, um, the stages were always on the opposite end. So you're just wheeling your stuff through people. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. One of I my mean, favorite things. Yeah, to do. it's just and, and it's it's such a pity because the venue is so damn cool. Yeah, um, they could just figure out. Uh, yeah, but I, outside of a massive renovation, like, what do you even do? Or turn the fire escape into like one of those old things where you put the food in it and it goes up and down. You oh, know? Yeah, yeah, a little service elevator I don't know. or something. Yeah, I that definitely is something that I think non musicians wouldn't think of very much mm-hmm. as far as gigs like how a load in and load out how can, how much yeah. that can affect like how good of a gig or how you know stressful it can be yeah absolutely a gig well i think people don't really realize that a lot of entertainment a lot of performing certainly is hurry up and wait sure you know it's it's the the performance time is the smallest part of it and it's usually great no matter what even though there can be some real uh train wrecks if, if they happen but even then i feel like when there's a really bad train wreck or something happens like that on stage it's kind of part of the fun and adds to the like the you never know what's going to happen sure but man if a load in and load out is bad or something about the venue is bad or there's like a bunch of time you gotta wait i mean that just changes the whole experience yeah, it really it really does. Yeah. Uh oh, so there was this other story that you had uh mm. talked about wanting to talk about. I wasn't sure what 
It, it's about JFK. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's about JFK and uh, Germany, actually. So, okay. Um, let me get some water for this yeah. tale. Okay. Yeah, get hydrated. Get ready. Mm. <laughs> so, 2009, um, I'm in a rock band, local rock band called Back Pocket Memory. Um, and we entered, there used to be a company, maybe there's still a company, I don't know, um, called Emergenza. Um, okay. Worldwide company. And they did like a battle of the bands, worldwide battle of the bands, and worldwide, battle worldwide, of the bands. and the prize. Well, I, I guess there they did battle of the bands contests in each, in several countries, regions, countries, whatever, and then you you then if you won, you went to the finals, which in the year that we were in, were in Germany, and you played well, at this big festival, but also it was as a competition. Um, so we'd entered. The contest started like January 2009. We played the first show, went great. We moved on to the second round. Like nobody came and we'd never heard anything. And we were like, all right, whatever, <laughs> moving on. It was fun. No, no big deal. I don't know what happened, but it turned out that we still had advanced to the next round. Um, the next round was at the Roxy when we had sold it out. It was great. <laughs> uh, fourth round, final round for uh, LA. I, I guess, I guess it wasn't. In this, in the United States, it was L.A. and New York. Okay. So it wasn't like all over the country. What uh, type of music was the band, or was the, uh, the the band was like alternative rock, which is very vague. But yeah, Foo Fighters, Coheed and Cambria, Incubus. Yeah. Now was the back battle was the battle genre specific, or was it anything? No, but it was variants of rock. Really, sure. There I, never really was like a you had to be a certain genre, but every band was some <laughs> interpretation of it. Okay. Um, and so we did, went to the fourth round, which was at the Troubadour, and it was it was great. Um, and we won, which was awesome, because nice. there were a lot of great bands. Um, and, and certainly in the last show, I think it was like maybe five bands, and everybody was great. And it was, it was really a great gig, because you're playing with these great bands, and the place is packed. Uh, and we won by some uh, chance of fate. And the prize was then that... A couple weeks later, they would fly us, all expenses paid, to Germany uh, to play at this big festival, uh, the Rottenberg Festival in Rottenberg nice. on the Tauber, which is basically, it takes place in a giant field um, adjacent to or down the hill from a really famous old medieval city in Germany, in Bavaria. Um, it's been on like postcards and stuff, this city. Um, anyway, so we won. It was amazing. We were going to Germany. Like, you know, it was very, very cool. The night before we left, we were set to fly from New York, or from LA to New York. And then we had a 10 hour layover in New York because they booked the tickets last minute, of course, because they didn't know who was going to go. Uh, and then flew to, flew to Germany. The night before we went, we went out with all of our local friends to celebrate because it was a big deal. We were proud of ourselves. We were going to play internationally. And how old for the first were you time. at this point? I was, let's see, it was 2009, so I was 26. Okay, you're dating yourself. That's yeah, good. Yeah, <laughs> That's a cool um, age to be able to do it. Like, yeah, it was, it was you're good. You're not so young that, right, you know, Right, whatever. It was, like, if we had gone at 18, it would have been bad news. <laughs> right. Um, uh, but, yeah, so it was great. And, and, and this will make sense, this will be important later in the story, in that band, I was probably the most responsible one. I was the one that kind of handled a lot of the administration stuff just sure. because of the nature of the nature of who I am. And <laughs> so we go out to a, a local bar in Burbank called the snug. 
um, uh, on Magnolia. I believe it's still there. This was like they had just opened recently, so it like wasn't hip yet, so it wasn't crowded. Yeah. So we went and we were celebrating, man. So we just drank a lot, and I. At the time, I don't. I really don't drink that much anymore. But at the time, I drank a good amount, and I could handle my liquor really well. Um, so we were drinking, and you know, beers and whiskeys and all kinds of stuff. And at some point, I don't remember when, in the night, uh, a friend was like, "Oh, let's get another round of drinks. I'm going to get an amaretto sour. You should get one too." And you know. Even me then, sober, would have been like, you don't like that drink. It's sweet. <laughs> it's not going to be a good idea. But in my mind, I'm like, you know, several drinks in already, and I'm celebrating. I got to, sure. you know, I'm flying planes all the next day. Who cares? I'm 26. Um, I had an amaretto sour, and I do not remember the rest of the evening. Time travel. At all. Time travel. Uh, I woke up. Insta- the trip to me was instantaneous, like Doc Brown says. Uh, I woke up on my parents' bathroom floor. I still lived at home at the time uh side note any musician if your parents let you live at home just just take them up on it until you have a good reason to leave (laughs) um but so time traveled to my parents bedroom my parents bathroom um where my bathroom in my parents house on the floor still in the clothes that i was wearing um and i woke up because my drummer jason was knocking at my front door because he was there to pick me up to take me to the airport. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and his, I woke up and didn't really understand what was going on. And my mom woke up and was like, what the fuck are you doing? I hope I can curse. And it's like, what are you doing? Get out. Like, clearly you had too much to drink. Um, and I, the weird thing is I don't remember, I don't, I don't think there was like puke or vomit anywhere near me. So I must have made it all into the toilet, which is great when I was in this time travel experience. Um, sure. So... I'm just, you know, at that point it kicks in, oh my God, I'm late. I didn't feel sick yet. I didn't feel terrible yet, but it was just that idea of like, I got to get dressed and like brush my teeth and take a quick shower. And my bags had already been packed. Like thankfully for once in my life, I had like prepared (laughs) and probably packed the night before we, you know, before we went out to the bar. It's getting better. Um, So uh, he's, he's there. He picks me up. I say goodbye to my parents. My mom just like, He's like, have fun. Bye, you know? bye, idiot. Um, yeah. So uh, we go to the airport, and you know everybody has had a good laugh at my expense, very much earned, including me that I drank too much and you know had to be woken up and pri- peeled off the floor, and somehow we we've made it to the airport on time, and it was fine. And I started to feel really crappy, but it felt at the time more crappy because it was like five in the morning, and we were at LAX, you know. Oh, wow. It was also five in the morning. Yes. So my time travel was quick. It was probably like two or three hours. See, I think the craziest thing about this story so far, if I may, if I may interject you just for a second, can. is that the drummer was the one who was on time. Yep. And yep. more responsible than you, who, you know. Well, in this band, <laughs> if there was somebody else that was the second most responsible, it was definitely him. <laughs> okay. Um, and I think I might have been the most responsible only because he was... Uh, I think just don't think he didn't want he didn't want to do any of that work. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he picks me up. I go to LAX. Everything's good. We're having fun. We're excited. We're getting on the plane. You know, um, it was back when they wouldn't like try to murder you if you tried to take instruments on a plane. You were probably still drunk at this point. I don't know. It might I be mean, why you felt still good. 
No, but I have I have memories of feeling like I was sober, which is like the worst statement in the world. <laughs> like memories of feeling <laughs> no, like I was no sober. drunk person has ever right. felt like they right. were sober. So, um, <laughs> I but but honestly, you're probably right. I probably was, or at least still like buzzing and feeling something. The hangover had not kicked in yet. Oh no, it's coming. So um, there we go. So. <laughs> I yeah we get on the plane and and uh, I think it was like a Delta flight to I could be wrong I could probably look this up by the terminal in JFK but uh, get on the flight to, to JFK and they again it was back when they really didn't put up a fight about about me the other guitar player and the bass player all bringing two instruments wow on the plane <laughs> they didn't they didn't fight us about it it was it was amazing so we get on the plane and I'm starting to like just be like really exhausted and feel kind of shitty but just exhausted you know i had eaten like really bland at the airport i had like a croissant and some water like really knowing at that point like i can't go crazy because my body could shut down at any moment (laughs) we land in jfk and everybody gets out i'm in the back row of the plane the the back row everybody else is further up in the plane except for our singer chris who is closer to me uh, we get up, everybody's getting up, and I was, I just, because I was feeling so crappy, I was like, I'm just gonna wait till everyone gets up, I'll be the last one off, it's not a big deal. Um, actually, really quick sidebar, our, we had brought our friend Gerard to take photos, he's a photographer, um, with us on the trip, but because they had booked the flight so late, he actually flew to Atlanta three hours earlier and then to JFK, so he's, he's waiting for us at the terminal, because again, back when you could just kind of get in the terminal, right. he's waiting for us. Uh, as we're all going to exit this plane in New York, right? So everybody gets up. I pull out my carry-on bag that, you know, I really just had, like, my wallet, my keys, my passport, and, like, a bottle of water in it or something. Maybe some other stuff that wasn't important. Pick up the backpack. I stand up, and I throw up everywhere. (laughs) Like, everywhere. Truly, just movie just, vomit, and, like. but and it wasn't like because I had really only had alcohol, a croissant, and water. It wasn't like horrifying exorcist vomit. It was just vomit, right? Yeah, and and it was just everywhere, all over my backpack, in whatever pockets of the backpack were open, all over my shirt. Somehow, not really on my pants. I think it's because I was kind of standing up, you know. Yeah. The flight attendants, who were angels, like. <laughs> rush over they bring me like towels and wipes and help me clean up and like i took my shirt off because it was just covered i mean oh it was it was so bad <laughs> and they give me they didn't have a blank they had blankets but they didn't have like the big blankets they just had like a <laughs> i don't know child size blanket so i'm shirtless <laughs> wrapped in a blanket a like child size with carrying a backpack just full <laughs> of vomit and my the singer my chris is he's like a couple rows ahead and he knew he saw what happened he was like like just mortified like shocked like really worried right so you know and also now i'm taking a little bit longer to get off the plane because sure you know um and that we finally get that all situated i'm wearing the blanket my hair is probably a mess and i'm like coming off the plane and chris had exited first 
And because Gerard was there to take photos, there's like <laughs> photos of Chris coming off like, you know, like getting ready to tell like you guys got to hear what happened to Ian. And then and I, I can't believe I don't have these photos. I got to find them. And oh. then and then have photos of me like stumbling off the plane shirtless with a blanket just looking like <laughs> I've been hit by a truck full of my bad decisions from the night before. Like oh just God. awful. Awful. So amazing. We get there. Oh, it's not over yet. <laughs> we get there. Um and I, at this point, I actually kind of feel like a million bucks because I puked everything up. And even though it's like embarrassing and ridiculous, I'm just like, the demons are going. I mean, this is what it is. I feel better. Like it's hilarious. We're on. We're going on a trip to Europe to play rock music. Like I got this child's cool. blanket yeah. keeping me warm. That yeah, was great. Covering. Um, my... <laughs> it's probably before they cut costs on the child's blanket. Um, so we decide, and because because we had this like ten hour layover. We had to go get our bags from the Delta flight or whatever it was and take them with us to then go check in at the international terminal uh, for our flight to Germany on Lufthansa, sure. right? Right. So, which is great because instead of me buying a shirt, <laughs> I just go and get a shirt out of my bag. So we go, we get to the baggage claim, we get our bags, I go in the bathroom, you know, open up my toiletries, fully clean up, brush my teeth, rinse my hair out, put on deodorant, like everything's great, I use some wipes on my body that was puked on <laughs> i i throw out my shirt which was criminally sad because it was a shirt um that had christopher walken's face on it it said walk and roll oh no it was great i haven't seen one since um but it was it was unsalvageable but also like what am i going to do put it in a plastic bag and take it to a hostel in it's, germany it's, it's gone. gone it's done yeah. yeah throw it in the trash and then i'm going through my backpack and i grab my wallet grab my keys and like nothing else in here is great throw it in the trash Everything's good. We're clean. We yeah. We we get our luggage. We get on the the uh, Sky Train. I think it's called Sky Train at, at JFK. Take the train to the international terminal. Uh, JFK is a really big airport for anybody that doesn't know. So you have to take the train to get from terminal to terminal. We get to the international terminal. We're all ready to go. We're waiting in line. We're checking in. I'm the last one in line. The guys are like crossing the barrier waiting for me. I get to the counter and I realize that in that backpack that I threw in the trash can oh, nice. was my US issued passport. I saw, um, saw it coming. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I certainly did not see it coming. Um, and neither did anybody else. Yeah. Which it wasn't their responsibility to. But <laughs> I mean, at that point, it was like, holy shit. What are we going to do? I mean, first of all, I was just like, just go. Guys, go. Get get to the gate. You yeah. have 10 hours. We have 10 hours to figure this out, right? And right. if you have to go and play without me, you go and play without me. Whatever. This is on me, right? So I, the um, the gate folks let me leave my bags with them, which you're not supposed to do, but because I was checking them, yeah. they're, they're like, all right, leave your bags and go back, right? By this time, it had been like an hour and a half like to, to get the train, wait in line to check in, right? Yeah. I run back to the train, I and and of course the train really only goes one way, so I have to take it all the way back around <laughs> to the terminal. I run back, I get to the baggage claim, I find the trash can, and my backpack is still in the trash can. Hell yeah! So I just reached in, grabbed the passport. The passport was perfectly clean, untouched. It had been in a pocket that was zipped. I think, and I think the reason I didn't take it is because the pocket that it had been in was closed. So mm. I didn't think of, oh, I need to go through this for whatever was hit by my vomit. Mm. And I pulled it out. It was perfectly clean. And I, like, at that point, couldn't believe it. Yeah. Um, this is also 
really right when like smartphones and texting really caught on. So I was like trying to update them, but there wasn't like 3G service on the fucking train at JFK, you know? So they have no idea that I have found the passport and I can still go to Germany. Um, So then I, you know, and even though we had 10 hours, I was so like stressed out. I like sprinted back to the train, got on the train, took it all the way back around the international terminal at the the opposite end. Um, And then... Yeah, I they let me in and my passport was fine and I felt like garbage again because I had just <laughs> on on now nothing in my stomach been stressed out and like running around JFK. Um and I remember we got in and we got settled and we actually ended up finding the band that was from New York who we're still friends with uh some of the girls in there and then the band that was from Canada and we all kind of like, oh, we all have our instruments. We must all be going to the same thing. So we like met up with them and created like a little base camp to wait in the terminal for eight hours until our, our flight departed. And I I distinctly remember this. I was at that point I was starving and like we were all still kind of recovering from like what the fuck did I just <laughs> manage to do and oh my god, it was me and you know, people were making phone calls and texts and all kinds of stuff. It was before you really could post post stuff on social media that much. Um <laughs> Actually, I don't even know if social media existed back then. Once again, dating myself, but um, I think it was early. It was early, but it wasn't enough. We're like, oh, here's an update. Ian just yeah, puked yeah. and lost his passport. Um, it'd be a viral hit now. Uh, so <laughs> I remember distinctly, like, I have to, I have to go eat. I need to like calm down. And I went to this like, I, I couldn't tell you the name. It was a Chinese restaurant in JFK, and it was like the greasiest just not a great choice at all but i remember it vividly because it just tasted so fucking great because everything was over you know what i mean because i had like had this whirlwind 12 hours 24 hours where i just was like a wreck and a disaster and i and i like i can almost visualize the like styrofoam container that was like breaking down as I saw it because of probably MSG or whatever. <laughs> like, and I can still taste like how greasy and terrible, but like wonderful these noodles were. Amazing. Um, yeah. And then, so then we went to, to Germany and I mean, that's, that's the best part of the story is the passport thing. And, uh, of but course. the, the round out is we went to Germany and it was probably top three musical experiences of my life. Nice. I mean, let alone just traveling with your buddies and having all this crazy shit going, but I don't know how we're doing on time, but I'll try to be brief with this. Yeah. Um, so we get there, we we get on the plane, you know, it's an eight hour ride from New York to Frankfurt, I think eight, eight, nine hours. Um, we get there, we kind of, you know, we're with these other bands and we're kind of hanging out and then we, we meet the people we're supposed to meet. We've already become with these friends with these other bands, but you know how it is sometimes when you meet people even other bands, like, you're friendly, but it's still, like, eh, especially traveling, you're not, like, really super close yet. Sure. They sent a couple of Econo line vans or similar, maybe they were VWs in Germany, to pick us up because all the other bands were there. Bands from England and Finland and Russia and Italy and England and Ireland and Japan, just all over, right? Now, was it all, like, kind of, like, 20-somethings or was it, like, older Um, people, too? I want to say yes. It was all kind of in my age range. The band from New York, um, it was mostly women, and they were all 
older, but not much older. Like probably like two or three years, maybe four years older than me. You know. Okay. Um, and maybe some of the other guys too. The Japanese band was all girls. They were very young. Uh, they were fucking awesome. They were <laughs> great band. Uh, I think everybody was probably in that twenty-something age, okay. where you know maybe a little younger, a little older, but like that's kind of the age who would be in a rock type band submitting to this kind of thing. Sure. Um, but so we're all kind of there milling about. Um, some of the bands had already gotten because so we flew into Frankfurt and then it was like a two-hour bus ride to Rothenburg. I think maybe hour and a half. Yeah. And we get put on a bus. They had like assigned us buses, which is a little bit silly. We got put on a bus with the Russian band and the Finnish band. And I mean, like almost the minute we sat down, we were like best friends with these bands. They handed you vodka. No, literally. <laughs> that's literally what happened. We sat we sat down and we're all we're slowly realizing that we're the only like native English speakers on the on the bus. They all spoke English, but yeah. and the the Russian guitar player comes up and was like who wants vodka? And oh, just man. like literally within seconds of us sitting down. Um, and the Finnish guys were on that bus too. And they're, they're actually the guys that we are the most, the closest with. I mean, like, yeah, just such great friends. We've gone and visited them. They've come here. One of them's coming here next month. Oh, nice. Um, but it was this like very like just immediate kinship, like musically and friendship wise and everything. And they kind of set the mood for the rest of the trip. And we stayed in this hostel in this beautiful medieval city. That's like known for its Christmas market and its cobblestones and stuff. And like every night after the, the gigs, we would go to this little place in, in town called rock cafe, which brewed their own Hefeweizen, like on site it was run by this. It was run by this German woman that like, probably looked like she was going to kill the next 20 something drunk person she ran to but she was like that's what she looked like she was like a sweetheart and she just let you know these 25 bands just take over this cafe every night and everybody had guitars and there were cones and somebody had like an acoustic bass through a little amp and it just the way it just kind of worked music obviously united everybody but what really united everybody was american music mm. so we not all of us but myself and the the bass player is also a really great guitar player we ended up just playing for a lot of the night with all these other people because it was all songs that we all knew yeah. and it was like i mean that that actually regardless of this whole trip that those moments in that cafe are probably the best music related moment of my life because it's it was so fun and so surreal that everybody kind of had that same feeling of we're here in this random, beautiful, historic city in Germany with bands from all over the planet and we're all singing at the top of our lungs to Nirvana or Guns N' Roses or the Beatles or whatever, or the Eagles. And and there's no... There's just... there's no, It was nothing but that. And everybody was having fun and nobody was like as drunk as I was the night before or, you know, like everybody was just like in such great spirits and we all, yeah. even though it was a competition still at this stage, um, which we didn't win, we got in like seventh or eighth, I don't know, but everybody came out and like the next days and everybody, everybody, every band was there for every other band set. Wow. You know what I mean? And like, it just was, there was just something really magical with it throughout the whole weekend of like f hanging out with these people that really like, you know, 
six months later, seven months later, when the Finnish guys would come, like they basically, we just treated them as family because of this like four days. It's like summer camp. <laughs> it, it really <laughs> was. Like, that, like, that's a great way to, to put it. it. It felt like this four day summer camp in the Bavarian countryside. <laughs> and it was, man, it was just like magical. And, and, and I remember thinking when we were coming home, I was like, you know, if that's the, the end of my musical career, I am a hundred percent happy. Wow! Because it really was just so wonderful, and it's in one way it's it's heart, it's heartbreaking to me that we didn't smartphones weren't used as much, so there isn't more documentation of it. Sure. But even more than that, I'm glad there wasn't because people weren't on their phones. People I mean, people took photos, and there's photos floating around somewhere. But everybody was like purely in those moments Present. the whole time. You yeah. know what I mean? And there's just I've just never experienced anything like that with music since and and just being at a giant fest like we lost the bass player for R rob rob you know rob oh uh, yeah. yeah he great guitar player he played bass in this band okay i should have i should have prefaced that but um like we we thought we lost him he wasn't actually lost but he like went to get a beer and then was gone for two hours it's, it's the, the big festival in rural germany kind of thing where like it's just so sprawling and everybody's just kind of you know doing what they do uh, i mean it was just yeah. it was magical and the fact that it was precipitated by this like epic disaster of where you uh, almost didn't make it right exactly is it really just added like another layer on onto uh how special and, and singular of an yeah. experience it is yeah and and it really was like it kind of also represented like the the end of a chapter of my life cuz like when we came back, it was in the beginning of August. Two weeks after that, we came back. I started dating Amanda, who is now my wife. Yeah. So it really was like, and even though obviously I still play and that band still played for a number of years after that, like it really was kind of like, okay, this is like the first part of your life is done huh. and now everything else has happened. And there's obviously been wonderful things since then. I'm, I'm very fortunate, but like that is still such a flashpoint. Wow, you know, and it's got this this great story around it. I mean, even just yeah. the the minutia of like when we would walk back and to the cafe or restaurant, we're like on cobblestones that people have been walking on for hundreds of years. Yeah, you know, there's just every little bit of it had this little magic. It was really, really wonderful. Um, needless to say, I don't mix drinks anymore. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say the amaretto sour at the end of a bunch of what drinks. a horrible idea, man. Yeah. And it was. It was like I was drinking probably mostly just whiskey and maybe like some Guinnesses or something, which is fine, but that the Amaretto Sour, it was just like just Pushing enough for top, just like yeah. drove me over the cliff. Well, I will. I mean, you've discovered the secret to try and time travel. I yeah, guess, that's right. So that's right. You know the rest. Only by a couple hours, though. A couple hours and, yeah. you, and you're going to feel like shit. <laughs> yeah, but it'll get you there. It will, um, yeah. But yeah, so that that's, I mean, that's that that main big story. I mean, that's it's, awesome. Thank yeah, you for telling me. Yeah. That. It's, it's, uh, it's nice actually for me to tell it. Yeah. A lot of times the other guys tell it, <laughs> right. Um, which is just as fun because it happened to them. Like I, sure. you know, um, but it's, 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 it's just, I mean, honestly, I'm lucky I didn't like die or, or get really sick or, you know, whatever. Or the trash was taken out oh, in man. that hour and a half. You know, I actually, uh, like nine months after that, my, wife who was my girlfriend at the time and i went back to new york we went to new york yeah to visit some friends um and 
I went and stopped by that trash can. It was like, <laughs> pay, pay homage. This trash to, can, yeah. I took a picture of it and the picture's gone. But like, it was just so like absurd that they hadn't emptied it. It had been like two hours. Right. I mean, I can't say I'm totally surprised, but like, <laughs> it, man, it's just, it's just wild. Cause really, if, if someone had come and emptied it, like, that would have been it. Yeah. You, you would have been, yeah. And just the amount of like heartbreak to oh, be yeah. in that situ- situation, yeah. like, not only feeling terrible, but like knowing then for the next week or whatever that your yeah. friends are are there and that and that, feeling stupid. I mean, yeah, that, it's all because of yourself. Of all of that, you right, know, yeah. it's like all mistakes that you that are completely your own. Uh, I'm glad it worked out the way it did. I mean, it sounds like I mean when you really look the 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 way that you describe it and talk about it, like it's a light. It, it's a different trajectory, possibly, For of sure. your life. For sure. If that would have happened differently. Yeah. Like, you would have been maybe unfulfilled with with music at yeah. that point and had this itch you couldn't scratch. Yep. I mean, honestly, like, it's it's no, so I, I, weird. I think, think you're absolutely that. right. And and, and it, even, like I said, like, with, with these, these bands that we became friends with, I mean, every time I've gone to New York, we see one or two of the girls from the, the band that was in New York. Um, yeah. Uh, the band was called Lily Sparks. They're not a band anymore, but they were great. And and when, you know, these Finnish guys who were super close with, they came twice. They came once, just two of them, and the other time the whole band uh, and stayed with me and they stayed with with uh, the drummer a little bit. Me, you know, me and my wife, and they they were like family. And in fact, when when uh, in 2016, my wife and I had planned to go to Europe and it ended up being a baby moon trip because we found out she was pregnant like a couple weeks before. But so early on, you don't really tell people that you're pregnant, right? Just right. you wait till it's developed enough. But we knew they smoked a lot. So uh, right. they were among the first people to know because we had to tell them why <laughs> A, why Amanda was no longer smoking and B, why she was not feeling great and see like please don't smoke around her yeah exactly. you know um and just and just the everything that was so i mean fi- first of all finland is a beautiful country like i can't recommend it enough but the fact that we got to go and experience that with locals because of them because i was able to you know the sanitation department at jfk was taking their time <laughs> i mean it really is like that that would have totally changed that part of my life too because we wouldn't have gone there on that trip you know and there's so many great things from that trip to Finland and just Finland in general. And those guys as musicians, they're super inspiring and just talented through the roof. You know, I mean, it's, it's like one of those things where just that little lick of fate could have been totally different, not necessarily bad, but certainly it was an experience that like now knowing what it was would be heartbreaking to not have. Yeah. The butterfly effect of it is, is hard to even fathom. It really is. But that's super cool. Like, yeah, yeah, it was. I'm it so was, glad that you were able to tell that story. <laughs> it was. It was wild, man. I mean, it just. What a trip! That's awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, we we are running short on time sure, here, yeah. but, uh, I guess the last thing I w- I'd be curious of, so I know that you're doing a lot. You've done, like, uh, so looking, you know, trying to find stuff online about you. <laughs> I'm finding like, oh, he worked. He's like credited on all these like. Marvel movies and yeah, stuff like that. Well, so, yeah. like, uh, which is, you know, I, I don't think uh, related to the music, right? No, that, no. but that's still really cool that you you have that. Yeah, I mean, the, I've I've been very 
fortunate, and I am very fortunate, to have a, a day gig, a, a nine yeah. to five day gig, um, that for the past six years has been with Marvel Entertainment, um, and those credits were from being at Marvel TV. It was you know, like then some of the Netflix shows and and the yeah. uh, the animated stuff, and it's it's been great in all accounts. I mean, like thirteen year old me would never believe that I was working for Marvel. Um, and would also never believe that I was able to do it while playing music and and making money as a musician and and being fulfilled in that way. And, you know, it's funny, I feel like in me, I don't know if you had the same experience, but when I was growing up and especially once I started playing, it was always kind of put in the way that like, well, you can't have a day job and be a musician. Right. I think that's a common. Right. Yeah. And and I, I will tell you that that is just bullshit. Like, yeah, right. obviously some day jobs are going to expect a lot more of you than others, but sure. it was so harder for me to be a musician when I worked retail, like at Apple. Um, yeah. Or before that, when I worked at Starbucks. Starbucks is a little bit more flexible because you can work all a bunch of different hours, but Apple, nothing against Apple. It's a, the, probably the best retail job there is, but it was really hard to schedule stuff in advance and and for them to be accommodating, you know. And, and again, right. I'm not saying that they're not accommodating, but with a with a day job, I found very quickly, and a day job meaning like a regular Monday through Friday, I found very quickly that well, I could say yes or no to stuff as far out as I wanted to because a I was not working on the weekend, and b I knew what my hours were. Right. You know what I mean? And I've been very fortunate through all of especially working at Marvel to um, have managers and bosses and coworkers that are very supportive and understanding and, you know, I can request, but, but really I can count on maybe like really just one hand, the times where I've actually had to like get time off in advance versus just being able to schedule myself appropriately. Um, That's great. And it, and it's great because it's allowed me to work in the entertainment industry uh, and, and, meet a lot of great people and, and close friends and just you know some, meet a lot of great musicians and great creative people who are maybe not doing it at Disney or Marvel but but still do it on the side and you know I think it's really it's I'm really really grateful that I was able to have that and I mean really recent history the pandemic overnight in March all of my musicians friends had they went musician friends um, I swear I'm not drinking now. This is this is sparkling <laughs> whatever you have here. Um, Amaretto sour. But uh they all lost everything overnight, as I'm sure it happened, something similar to you. Um, but I still had a day job. Right. And that like I remember very specifically that moment when I was like, okay, I'm really, really firmly thankful. Because if I mean if would I wanna only be doing music and making a living and Providing for my family and having health insurance? Yes, of course, everybody would. But the reality is it's, it's and yes, there are people that do that. Don't get me wrong. But I have found that the reality was the best thing for me right now was to have a this stable job. And when, when 2020 hit, man, and, and things were closed overnight, I was so relieved that I had this thing yeah. that was there, you know, and, and I'm really, really very grateful for it. And, and it was challenging and a job is a job, right? You know, sure. we've all been on a gig or a job where it's just like, oh yeah, this is work. It's maybe not a hundred percent fun, <laughs> but the reality is like, you know, I work with great people and I worked on cool things and I've worked on things that I found interesting or I was proud of the little part that I played in it. So like, if that means that I'm not doing music full time, 
but I still get to play, like, sign me up. Sure. You know? That's awesome. I mean, that's, and I, and I, and I hope that now with remote work and stuff that more people are finding that you can do other things to kind of be the means to your end. Right. You know what I mean? Your, your, your job doesn't have to be your life. And that, and in America, that's not, that's not very cool to say that, but the reality <laughs> is like, you can be a musician and if you got to do something else to pay the bills, but you still get to play cause you get to do this other thing, you can do it and that's okay. I think that's great. That's a great, a great insight and a great lesson for, for people. Cause it, and, and it's been brought up before on the, on the show for yeah, sure. Great. Uh, just that there there are different ways to go about it and you don't have to like pigeonhole yourself right. into like every single thing I do must be with a guitar in my hand right. from now on for me to consider myself a professional right. musician. And everybody's journey is different. Everybody's life is different. Yeah. Well, and, and as you mentioned, like you have a family yeah. to provide for too. And that's something that's hard for anyone. But the fact that you're able to kind of have some more stability and still be a musician yeah. is is awesome and yeah. inspiring. Thanks man. Yeah, I mean I'm <laughs> I but I really like I'm like I said I'm very very grateful and very lucky and I don't take that for granted because it's it'd be very easy for that to not be the case. Sure. You know, but I'm I'm with the right person and I work with the right people and like I think we've talked about it, you know, and it's allowed me to be pickier about the kind of work that I accept. Right. And and there's I absolutely you know nothing but respect for people that maybe can't afford that and they got to take what they can take, right? We've all been there and that's Scott was especially in today's cost of living in Los sure. Angeles like yeah, absolutely, but it's been really nice to kind of learn that lesson and be able to say, you know what? No, I I, I can't do that cuz I'm not available. Maybe there's other reasons, but you know, just be able to let go a little bit of a little bit more and be like, oh, well, maybe yeah. I can't do this gig, but I get to spend time at home, you know, or I don't, you know, it doesn't work out or whatever. But it's 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 really been nice, and I, I'm really like, I'm just very grateful for it. That's you know? awesome. Thank you for sharing that yeah. and, and all these stories. This was super fun. Thank you fun, for having man. me. This is great, man. I'm glad we finally got to, got yeah. to do it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, great to see you. Yeah, you too, man. Awesome. It's great. Dude.